Dear Heavenly Father, once again we come before you on a Sunday morning. And Lord, we're thankful for each one that has assembled here with us together. Lord, we just ask now that you would take this time of singing, that we would remember that we are singing these songs to your honor and your glory. Lord, we pray for the preaching time that would, uh, I would be able to present your word simply and clearly. And Lord, that there would be a challenge on how we can change our lives to be in better agreement with your word. And Lord, that we could seek your power to change us and make us the servants you would have us to be. Lord, we pray for the time of invitation that not a one of us here would withhold from you that which is yours. That if there be one that's unsaved with us this morning, that today would be the day of salvation. And Lord, others who are struggling with selfishness and sins of this world, that they would be willing to surrender them to you and ask for strength to live for you during the coming week. We pray for the offering in every part of this service, that it would bring glory and praise to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain. Chapter 11, verse 6, a a verse that we know well. Uh, If you have not put this verse to memory, you you really ought to have this uh, in your heart and in your soul. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. One more time. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, We talk a lot about faith in church, uh, and we ought to. And this is the Christmas season, and I I hope and I pray that the Christmas story will not just be a story for you. Uh, The Christmas story is the essence. It, It is the foundation of our faith. If Jesus Christ is not the virgin born Son of God, then he's not who he said he was. He is not our Savior. He is not our Lord. And, you know, we, we live in a world of extremes, but our problem is we just got to get our eyes off the world and get them on the Savior. Amen? You see, there are those who would so venerate Mary that they worship her and they pray to her. Prayer is a form of worship. And then there are others on the other side of this thing who just relegate it to a nice little story. And really, Mary and Joseph, if we want to understand things correctly, they are the, uh, uh, they are the picture of the modern-day homeless person. And we just need... And uh, that borders on blasphemy, my friends. It really does. The Christmas story is not a tool in your hands to propagate uh, political, uh, well, 
they call them political promises, but uh, shall we be honest in church today? Political lies. Amen. Uh, I mean, they're just everybody wants to make something out of this story. God put it in our Bible for a reason. He put the story of Joseph and Mary in the Bible to help us understand that they were real people that made real life decisions. And their lives illustrate this verse. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is... And that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, I'd like to ask you a question. Is there anything happened in your life this past week that required faith in God? Think about that for a minute. It says the just shall live by what? Faith. And if we're here today and we want to identify ourselves as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, as those that follow Him, then this word faith has got to come into play. Faith ought to be part of our everyday experience. Do you want to please God? I mean, say, preacher, I'm with you. I want my life to please God. Now, I'll lift my hand saying so. Would you just do that this morning? Now, lifting your hand doesn't make you more pleasing to God. It just says, I, I, I publicly give testimony that I would like my life to please God. And right here in this verse tells you how. It says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So, therefore, if you're going to please God, you've got to have faith. And then it gives us a practical way, an application of that faith. It says, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Do you know that if you believe in God today, you believe in God by faith. You know what? Not a a one of us in here has ever seen God with our physical eyes. Um, I've heard many songs written, I wish I could have held Jesus when he was a little baby in the manger and wish I could have been there. And uh, there were lots of things that we all wish. But the Bible says that these things are written so that we can believe that Jesus Christ was a real person, that he was really born And by the way, I guess we need to say this. The actual date of his birth is not Christmas. All right. Uh, We're not sure when. The Bible is not clear. If God really wanted us to know that date, he would have made it clear. But it wasn't on Christmas. That's a day that the world has chosen And if you're really going to stand against the world, by the way, let's just chase this rabbit out and then we'll get back into the message. If you're going to stand against the world and the things of the world, are you going to argue about them at least giving notice to who Jesus is? 
You know, that's a pretty dumb way to fight against the world now, isn't it? That's like the, well, anyway, that's enough. Let's get back to our message this morning. But faith is what we're trying to exercise here. Faith is believing what we cannot see. It's believing it simply because God says so. Enough. Now, here's the catch with faith. It's not faith until you do something. As long as you talk about it and think about it and feel good about it, that's not faith, my friend. Faith does not kick in until something happens. And it says that the first thing that that faith is going to do, it's going to bring you to God. You notice it doesn't say bring you to church. Now, I go to church because I've already met God. Amen? Well, we got one. Let's try that again. I go to church because I already have a relationship with God. And God expects me, according to His Word, to be where I'm going to hear this book preached. He expects me to fellowship with other believers. He expects us to assemble together. It was Jesus who started His church. And so if you go to a church that somebody else started, I'm not trying to be rude, but you're just going to the wrong kind of church. You can get that fixed, amen? And what we have here is it's impossible to please God without faith. If you have faith, you're going to come to God. You're going to believe that He is. You know, we've had people over the years, and they'll they'll simply come up sometimes, they'll say something like this is, well, you know, I'm, I, I, I want to give this religious stuff a try, but I just really don't believe there is a God. And I have to say, you know, I, I don't have anything I can help you with. He said, I can give you all kinds of evidences that there is a God. Uh, I, I could tell, talk to you about the immensity of the universe in which we are, find ourselves. Uh, I can talk to you about the meticulous mathematics that make this universe work and keep it in perfect order. Do you know that the sun would cease being the sun if those reactions, thermonuclear reactions that make turn actually helium into energy that's so far beyond the atomic bomb or anything we've ever discovered. And yet, the reactions that produce the heat of the sun are so timed to millionths of a second that the one explodes and keeps the next one going. That's why the sun's burned for all these years. And if those explosions would get the least bit out of sync, the sun would put itself out. Now, you tell me how that happened by accident. When I was a kid, they said that the human body consisted of about three billion cells. That's what I remember from science class. I was reading in one of my kids' textbooks, it's now ten trillion cells. Have we got more complex? Has evolution kicked in? No. 
No, we just found out a little bit more about what God did right the first time. It's impossible. I like the... Uh, his name was Henry Morrison, and he was an engineer and a scientist, Ph.D., I mean super smart guy, and, and he got out of... Well, he didn't get out his calculator. He just started working on it. And he said, there's not enough matter and there's not enough time. If we were to take every ounce of matter in the entire universe and have it reacting with each other constantly for all of the time that the evolutionists say the universe has been here, there's still not enough matter and not enough time to assemble One cell of life by accident. It's a mathematical impossibility. So I ask you today, where are you going to put your faith? I'll tell you where my faith is. It's in God and it's in His Word. And yet, we have a group of people today that Their mantra is, you know what the problem with our world is? It's religion. It's people who believe that they're right and somebody else is wrong. How many of you have heard that? I mean, it comes from everybody. It's everywhere. You cannot cannot be dogmatic. You cannot be the only one that's right. And I'm saying, amen. I'm not the only one that's right. But God is. God's the only one that's right. Let me ask you. Can you give me one example of men or a group of men and women, mankind, coming together and accomplishing anything good without the influence of this book? How many great nations have the atheists built? I mean, you've answered the question. There are none. How many great societies have the atheists established? I mean, we can go back and we can dig up the ruins of their society and say, look at all the great buildings they built and the great nations they conquered and the great rule... Can we find anything that the atheists have ever done that has been qualified as great? I mean, there's a lot of false religion out there. But I'll tell you what. You see, it says, He that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. You know what? God is good. How many of you believe that today? The only way you can know that is by faith. You can sit there and try to explain away God's goodness. 
But I want to challenge us today to take it from the realm of the theoretical and put it in the realm of the practical. And I want to deal with a little bit of the darker side of the Christmas story today in the lives of Mary and Joseph. Because we know that God is. We know that God is good. We know that everything that God does, He has a purpose and a plan. But do you know something? It's not always fun to obey God. How many have ever found that out? That when Jesus promised us life and life more abundantly, that wasn't life without tribulation. That wasn't life without effort. That wasn't life without sacrifice. Let me tell you something. There's no one that's achieved anything in this life without great hardship and sacrifice. How many of you have ever stayed at a Holiday Inn? Uh, the man that founded the Holiday Inn chain, uh, unfortunately, they don't have not followed in his footsteps, but he was a believer in Jesus Christ. And someone asked him one day, how did you build this uh, uh, large establishment and this great company and, and become such a wealthy man? He said, I've, I've gotten there only by working half days. He said, half days? He says, yeah, you pick which 12 hours you want to work, but I've I've gotten there by working half days. Amen? 12 hours a day, seven days a week. That's that's how he sacrificed to to work. Let me tell you, I promise you Bill Gates and all those guys put in a lot more than 12 hours a day to build their things. And yet, when it comes to serving Christ, Two hours on Sunday morning. Boy, that's asking an awful lot, preacher. You know what? I believe God is good. And that time invested in worshiping Him is one of the best investments I can make. You see, I want us to think about this verse. And I just want to talk you through the story of Mary and Joseph. So you have to put your thinking caps on a little bit. Let's go to uh, Matthew chapter 1. We'll pick up some scripture verses here, of course. We find that Joseph was a descendant of King David. But in Joseph's day... It had been 600 years since a descendant of David had sat on the throne as the king in Jerusalem. How many of you would like to go back in time 600 years? I mean, what was in New York City 600 years ago? Uh, Wildlife. And we're not talking about the two-legged variety. We're talking about the four-legged variety. Amen? Uh, There were deer, and and there were moose, and there were uh, snakes and birds and all of this. We're finally getting some of it back. They, They had a whole flock of wild turkeys on Staten Island the other week they were talking about. Let me tell you something. Turkeys 
you, 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 I love them on Thanksgiving table, but you wouldn't want to tangle with one in the wild. They are huge. You're ever out in the woods and one of them things comes flying in over your head? You'll think a 747's coming into land. I'll tell you what, it, it'll scare the living daylights out of you. Had it happen several times. But there was nothing here. 600 years. And yet, Joseph was a man who knew the Word of God. He had a relationship with God. And he knew the promises of God that somewhere in his family, in his descendants, there would come the one the Bible called the Messiah. You know, the Jewish people had so speculated about this Messiah and so multiplied all of the incredible things that he would do. Many of those have yet been yet to be fulfilled when he would sit upon a kingdom ruling the earth. Uh, the book of Revelation tells us that kingdom's going to last a thousand years. Jesus is going to sit on that throne. He's a descendant. He was Joseph's son. But he hadn't been born yet. Joseph was not a rich man from what we can tell. Now, verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Verse 19, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Now, how many of you like weddings? Does anybody like weddings? If you're married to a good wife, you better raise your hand. Amen. Weddings are a lot of fun. When they're right and when the the bride and the groom love each other and they've done things correctly. But arguably, in our society today, who's the most important person on the wedding day? How many of you would say, the preacher? I don't see any hands going up. Well, you can't get married without a preacher, right? How many of you would say, the groom? No takers? How about the bride? Oh, everybody's saying. Can I, can I tell you that in Joseph's day, it was not the bride who was the most important person on the wedding day? It was the groom? It was exactly the opposite as, as it is today. You know, and this is one of the reasons we don't understand about Christ being the, uh, coming back for his bride, the church, and all of these things, because we get all wrapped up in the bride, and, and the bride is the one who walks down the aisle. And, but I, I want you to just think, and this is what we mean by taking a literal understanding of our Bible. We've got to realize the culture and the customs of the day in which uh, these things happen. And you can read your Bible, and you can see these things here. You see, the way it happened was that the groom 
would pick his wife and they would make their arrangements. The families would come together. It was big doings to be espoused, to, to be engaged in those days. And then the, the man was to finish the final preparations uh, of preparing a home for the bride to live in, to making sure that he was financially uh, settled, to uh, 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 all of the things that had to be taken care of. The groom did everything. It was really, uh, in Jewish society today, the big thing is the bar mitzvah. When the boy turns 13, becomes a son of the law. But really, you didn't enter society proper until you got married. And you were to have a year to stay at home and according to the law. And they didn't always work all of that just the way that the Bible said. But in, in Joseph's day, he couldn't really serve in the city council. He couldn't really do much at the synagogue. He was, he was really a, just another guy. But once he would get married then he'd be able to participate in all the things that made society, made the community what it was. I'm getting a lot of blank faces. That, that's just the way it was. You've got to take a moment and think about this. The wedding would start out with everything finally being prepared, and then there'd be a time... When the groom would just make everybody in the little town wait. As the anticipation of the soon coming wedding would build. And he'd go get a couple of his friends and he'd say, It's going to be tonight. Meet me at the house after sundown. Or meet me at the house at nine o'clock. And they would meet him at the house and they'd start making a little noise and, and talking about, It's going to be tonight. And, you know, little towns... Everybody hears and everybody knows. And and he would begin the walk from his house to her house. And by the time he got to her house, half the town would be following him. And they'd be singing songs and telling jokes and, and, and starting the festivities. And I mean, it would be a special time. And he would go out and he'd call up to her house and she would come out and the crowd would then grow and everybody was coming, all of her family, and they would all go to his house and they would celebrate a marriage dinner if, if in a well-to-do house it might last seven to ten days. And it would be feasting and, and enjoyment. That's why in uh, John chapter 2 when they ran out of wine at the marriage ceremony, it was a big deal. And by the way, it was grape juice, not alcohol. Another sermon. We'll, we'll touch on that later, but not today. When Mary was found with child, all that was off. People weren't going to be so eager to participate. Now, if you go to Sight and Sound or read some of these little books... They, they talk about how that Mary was in danger of being stoned to death. And Read your New Testament. When they were plotting against the life of Jesus, and Pilate said, you take him and judge him after your law, what did they say? 
They say, we can't do it because we can't put anybody to death unless we have your permission. You see, the truth was, the biggest thing that would be lost here would be your reputation for your life. You'd always have that cloud kind of just hanging over your head. It's not really that way today. We've become so sophisticated that immorality is no longer sin. Uh, Let me tell you something. It is, and it affects things. And people were accusing Mary of not being faithful to Joseph. And Joseph was going, I didn't do anything. I'm not going to take responsibility. If you remember, read Luke chapter 2. Mary had taken off. We don't know if she had told anybody where she went, but she went for almost three months down to Elizabeth. That's John the Baptist's mother. That was her cousin. And she was there until just about the time the baby was born. Then she comes back to Nazareth. And Joseph is trying to figure out what to do. And I... I don't know how many times I've read over this. And I've heard preachers talk about that he was minded to put her away privily, uh, privately, and, and, and not make a public example of her, that he was trying to protect her and all this. No, really, what, what this was, was Joseph had the opportunity and the right by law to stand up and testify that whatever she did, I had nothing to do with and preserve his reputation. And if he decided to drag it through the Jewish legal system there, the community courts and all of those things, he could really effect revenge as much as possible upon Mary for not doing the things that she should in keeping her promises. You know, when somebody hurts you, what's the first thing you like to do? But see, Joseph wasn't that kind of man. The Bible lets us see his true character. He said, I'm not out on a witch hunt here. I'm not out to just try to destroy this person. I don't know what to do. His whole world had just imploded. There was not going to be any beautiful wedding ceremony and feast that was going to last all week. There wasn't going to be all of his plans, everything that he had put together. The wedding was not going to be what it could be because everybody knew that Mary was with child. And he was praying about this. And the Bible tells us that God appears to him in a dream and one long sentence is all he got. Verse 20, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Look at verse 24. 
Then Joseph, being raised from his sleep, did as the angel Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. Can I ask you a question? How much faith would it take to do what Joseph did? Could we think about that this morning? How much faith did it take for Joseph to do what he did? For without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. In order for Joseph to do what he did, he had to believe in God and believe that God was good. And in spite of the ruination of all of his plans and hopes and aspirations for life, and his reputation and and what people would think about him, I believe God enough to obey his word. Now, someone might be thinking this morning, well, if God appeared to me in a dream and told me, I'd do exactly what he says. Well, let me ask you a question. He doesn't need to appear in a dream because you've got about 1,400 pages. Last time I checked, all of us could use a little more agreement with this book. Could we say amen to that? I mean, there are things in this book that need to be in each of our lives. Amen? So, don't go asking God for a special revelation when He's already given you a whole Bible. Start paying attention to what you have. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But I want you to think about Joseph had faith. In spite of everything that happened to him. And, and I want you to think about the, the, the story. They left their house to go to uh, Bethlehem to pay their taxes. And, and if we follow uh, the Bible in the book of, uh, of Luke there, the story tells us they went into the temple. That was 41 days after the birth. Took care of the things in the temple. Went back to Nazareth. But when we get to Matthew chapter 2 and the wise men show up about two years after the birth of Jesus Christ, guess where they are? They're back in Bethlehem. So what happened to his house and all the preparation and everything that he had done and all the plans he had laid? And after the wise men, they had to spend several years in Egypt for fear of Herod, the wicked Herod, and then... When he came back, they went back to uh, Jerusalem and God warned Joseph in a dream and he went back to Nazareth and had to start all over again. You know why? Because Joseph had faith. His faith made him do things. Those things that he did was simple obedience to what was God's Word. He didn't have a Bible like you and I. And so God appeared to him and gave him the specific direction that he needed. 
Could we take a few minutes and talk about the faith of Mary? Let's turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Verse 26, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Now, how much faith did it take for Mary to do what Mary did? Let me ask you a question. How was Mary supposed to explain to Joseph what had happened to her? You ever thought about that? If you were in Joseph's situation, would you believe what Mary said? No, that's why God had to appear to Joseph and say what he did so that Mary, so that Mary who could not explain to Joseph... It wouldn't make any sense if Mary said it. But when God said it, Joseph believed it, and Mary already had believed it. I love the the contradictions between Mary and Zacharias, the father of of, uh, John the Baptist, And he was a priest. He was offering incense in the temple. And the angel appeared unto him and told him. And he said, how do I know this is happening to me? And little Mary, she said, behold the handmaid of the Lord. Let your words come to pass. I want to obey God. See, Mary had to give up an awful lot too. You read through your Bible 
And as Jesus was having an argument with the Pharisees at one point in the book of John, they looked at him and said, We be not born of fornication. You know, they had gone through the records. They had checked things out. And the time clock didn't work out. And they were accusing Jesus of not being properly born. But you know, when Joseph got up in the middle of the night at the angel's bidding and took Mary, his wife, everything was now under the law, as the Bible said. And they continued on fulfilling the Word of God. Let me ask you a question. How much of Joseph's faith How much of Mary's faith was expended in just daily, ordinary living? See, that's a place where we lose our faith. We want God to take care of the big things. And of course, if you're here today and you're saved, you know that you can't take care of your own salvation, so you're willing to trust God to save you. But how about to go through work tomorrow? God wants to give you faith to live every moment of every day. What happens when something that you're not expecting happens? (coughs) Excuse me. when, When life turns dark, You know what the first thing we do? We question God. You know what faith does? Faith brings us to God. And faith makes us understand that regardless of the pathway we walk, even through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Let me tell you something, that rod and staff, it's actually a poetic reference to the same tool. But that shepherd's rod had had multi-purposes. If an old snake came along or a wolf or whatever, uh, that rod was a pretty handy weapon in the hand of the shepherd. You could break a snake's back in a lightning slash with it. He could send a wolf howling into the woods again and protect the sheep. But you know, sheep aren't really noted for their great wisdom and obedience. You you know, you have trained dogs and trained pigs and trained bears, uh, but nobody ever taught a sheep how to ride a bicycle, let me tell you. Uh, uh, That that rod also had... uh, had a uh, disciplinary use to, to let those sheep know that, hey, you don't need to go over there. Uh, you need to stay in the way. See, we try to take care of the ordinary things and wonder why we don't have any joy And wonder why when the extraordinary things of life come on that we don't have God's ability to deal with it. 
Everything you deal with in life is an opportunity to express faith. I get a little frustrated. Something will happen. And and I, I try not to just intervene in other people's issues. Somebody's around me and stand there and they're going take the name of the Lord in vain or something like this. I remember standing in line to post office once. It was just one of those terrible lines, nothing moving. And the guy behind me starts, Jesus this and Jesus that. I just turned around and I said, you know something? It isn't his fault. You know what? It got real quiet in there. And what do you say? I said, listen, if you're going to curse somebody, I said, why don't you curse the people behind the booth? Stop cursing my Lord. Say, you don't get in a fist fight doing that. Well, praise the Lord, I didn't that day. Get a little frustrated with this. It's not Jesus' fault. Don't you dare go, oh my God, around me. It's not his fault. He's good. He's the only good. When bad things happen, I want to go to him. By the way, when good things happen, I need to go to Him. When life is tough, I need to go to Him. When life is fun and enjoyable, I still need to go to Him. Do you know success has destroyed a whole lot more people than trial has? Think about that one through the week. See, without faith, it's impossible to please God. If you have faith, you're going to come to God. You're going to believe that He is. And that He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. How much faith did it take for Joseph to raise a son that was totally unattached to anything that mattered in Joseph's life? I mean, Jesus is identified as the carpenter, but when he was 12 years old, they sought him three days in the city of Jerusalem. And what was his answer to his parents? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Don't you understand that I've got to be about my father's business? Who was standing there? Don't you think that kind of got Joseph a little bit? But Joseph knew that he wasn't his father. Joseph knew that there was something different about this son. Joseph and Mary would have other children. But they wouldn't follow Joseph. They were following Jesus. James would become the author of the book of James, would become the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. Jude wrote the book of Jude, became a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. How much faith did it take for Joseph to do that? How much faith did it take for Mary to wait all those years and finally say, Hey, we have, a, we have an extreme need here. And John chapter 2, and Jesus said, Woman... 
Why are you talking to me about this problem at the wedding feast? I'm paraphrasing, of course. He said, my time has not yet come. It tells us that Mary pondered all these things in her heart. But I'll tell you what, Mary didn't have any answers until after she died and went to heaven and she could see and understand. You and I, we can read the whole story beginning to end. We can see clearly the plan of God and how it was all worked out. And yet I dare say we have a harder time expressing faith in God than Mary and Joseph did. We have a harder time dealing with life than they did. Why? Because you have to have faith. You can't please God without faith. But if your faith doesn't do anything, it's not living faith. How many of you remember that day when your faith pushed you to the point to where you knew in your heart that if you said no to the Savior one more time, you're going to be lost forever and you got saved? How many people remember that day? Faith makes you do things. How many of you remember the day that that faith got over your fear of water? That faith got over your fear of what other people would say and you walked down into a baptistry and you got baptized the way Jesus did by a Baptist preacher. Amen. And you joined the church and you said, I'm going to serve God in the church. Do you remember when your faith actually pushed you to the point you got your pen out. Or you got your wallet out and you put some money in the offering plate. Do you remember when your faith said, I'm not going to get mad and yell at this person and try to get even with them. I'm going to get on my knees and talk to God about this thing. When's the last time your faith did anything? You know, read James. If your faith ain't working, it's broke. Well, James put it this way. If your faith is not living, it's dead. And dead faith has never ushered one person across the great divide into the presence of God. It's got to be a living faith. It's got to be alive. And that living faith will give you grace to live each and every day. How much faith did it take for Joseph to do what he did? How much faith did it take for Mary? How much faith did it take to follow through in all of the years? Jesus didn't begin his earthly ministry till he was 30 years old. I mean, when my kids get of age, I ship them out. Amen? Now, they're welcome to come back home, but there, there comes a point where they've got to start taking care of themselves. As far as we know, Jesus was there until he's 30 years old. Not married, 
No hopes of marriage. And three years later, he was put to death on a Roman cross. Three days later, he came back to life. And he ever lives. I believe that God is. I believe that He's good. And I want to walk with Him each day. And I want my faith to do things. I want my faith to give me victory over me. I want my faith to give me wisdom to make decisions in this life. I want my faith to keep me from the corruption that is in this world through lust. I want my faith to be reflected in the lives of my children. I want faith to be reflected in the lives of people who come here to this church. I'd like someone who's visiting to be able to walk in the doors and say, there's something different about those people. I actually believe that book. If there's any testimony... I would want for this church. It's simply that. Read Revelation 3.8. For thou hast little strength, hast kept my word, and not denied my name. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Would you ask God to encourage you to faith by the story of Joseph and Mary? Would you ask God to give you an opportunity to have your faith do something? Tell you what, faith can be terrifying at times. It's terrifying to trust God instead of yourself. But if you have any wisdom at all, any wisdom at all, you've got to know that it's better to trust God than it is to trust you. I mean, you've seen the old western movie where the guy falls off the cliff and he grabs a hold of a little tree root and he's just sitting there hanging by one hand. you all seen that thing. And always, the Lone Ranger comes along or Tonto is there or somebody and they throw him the rope and he's got a hold of this little tree branch and he goes over and grabs the rope. I've used this illustration before. Let me tell you something. If you're a normal person, you will hold to that little tree branch until your hands go numb and you fall into the pit. Even though the rope's hanging right there beside you. Because you would not have enough discipline to let go of that tree branch to grab a hold of that's going to kill you to grab a hold of the rope that would save you. You can't do it. You couldn't do it. When a swimmer, person in the water is drowning, the lifeguard is instructed to wait until that person is so tired they can barely swim to save them. 
Because many a lifeguard's been drowned by someone holding on to them because they got too much of their own panic in them to simply trust God. Let me ask you a question. Faith is letting go of you, getting hold of God. Can't do it on your own. You've got to have some help. God will do it. But you've got to believe that He is. And He's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. And all God's people said. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before You this morning. And Lord, we just ask that You'd work in our midst, that You would give us grace to hear Your Word and to have faith A faith that will do something. And Lord, there are many people here that are struggling with many things. Lord, I ask that they be willing to bring those things they struggle with and leave them here at an old-fashioned altar. Lord, if there's someone here that's refusing salvation, that today they would finally surrender to faith and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those that are just struggling against little things that they could actually do. Just being faithful in church attendance. Getting baptized. Giving. Asking for grace not to get angry and lose their temper. Asking for grace. Letting faith work. That it would be Jesus they would see and not us. Oh Lord, please. Work in our lives that we may bring glory to thy name. Give us faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.